0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Canines have assisted human warfighters in a variety of situations over the years. They even have an association of active-duty military members and veterans who make sure the animals get proper treatment when they retire. Now the military working dogs are about to get a sculpture in their honor. For details, I spoke with the president of the War Dogs Association, who is also former Marine Corps Master Sergeant, Chris Willingham.
2: We're going to be dedicating, it's called Service and Sacrifice. It's a sculpture that pays tribute to the Sea Service K-9 Heroes, past, present, and future. It features John Dergendara and his dog Bart. They were part of SEAL Team 6. Uh, and unfortunately, they were uh, killed about 10 years ago when they were flying in a Chinook going towards an operation uh, when it was shot down. And the sculpture itself is absolutely incredible. Susan Bahari did a great job with it, but it also serves as a platform to bring just overall awareness and education to what our military working dogs do for our country.
1: It'll sure be dedicated
2: of, down at the uh, Navy Museum down in Washington, D.C.
1: Got it. Is the sculpture of the dog and the seal, or just the dog?
2: It is actually the dog team, so it has the dog and the hammer. It has John and Bart. They did a really good job of capturing just that connection the dog and the hammer has, so it actually has John taking a knee beside his dog, and his dog sitting up beside him that was taken from a picture but it really does help capture the bond between the dog and handler, and Susan did a great job with that.
1: And Susan being a well-known sculptress, correct?
2: Yes, absolutely. Her work's all over the world, and she's very well-known for, especially her work with uh, animals, and particularly military working dogs. She did an incredible job with this one, and it was no surprise. And I've seen pictures, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it uh, in person.
1: Got it. And let me just ask you this. You mentioned this is a service and sacrifice of SEAL Team 6. This is the water services dogs, that is the Navy and Marine Corps animals, correct?
2: Yes, you're correct. It's for all sea services, it just kind of represents the service and sacrifice of all military working dogs and their handlers.
1: And in your experience, of course, you were in the Marine Corps and they travel sometimes by sea but do their work mostly on the ground where you can envision a dog being helpful what about at sea do dogs have duties at sea also
2: so during iraq and afghanistan obviously the main threat to coalition forces was improvised explosive devices so with every war in history's past since we've used war dogs officially since world war ii your job is to basically develop your capabilities to meet the threat you face overseas a lot of our efforts were faced towards the counter-IED threat in Iraq and Afghanistan. And as those operations started winding down and combat operations started winding down, we started finding different ways to employ our dogs. The Marine Corps, we started putting dogs with our MUSE, our Marine Expeditionary Units, so they either be on a ship or forged staged at a certain country, and they're able to be pulled that resource to wherever they needed to go. So we might go and work in you know three or four different countries within a seven-month deployment. There's always room for canine. If you're gonna have troops on the ground, if you're gonna have boots on the ground, military working dogs will always have a role because they're a force protection, they're a force multiplier, and just a fully mission capable asset.
1: And besides sniffing out IEDs and explosive devices, which I guess they have really good noses for, what are some of the other tasks that they can perform?
2: So the other part of that is tracking and apprehension. So we have dogs that are trained to track individuals down. It was a very successful program in Vietnam. And then once we started seeing operations pick up in Iraq and Afghanistan, we brought back the combat tracking dog program. And the idea, because we're having these IEDs laid everywhere, the dogs were able to provide key intelligence on direction of travel for the individuals who laid those IEDs. If you get into a a firefight with a small team, once they break contact and you go up to where they're fighting position, those dogs can help track down and give you a good direction of travel where those individuals were heading. And also, like, we go out and look for high-value individuals. So we would go out and target key individuals, and those dogs are great for, one, searching up to the breach point, uh, going in and helping clear the house for individuals, and then doing any potential tracks for uh, anyone who might have uh, ran out the back door and hit the front door. So just an absolute incredible asset on the battlefield.
1: We were speaking with Chris Willingham. He's a former Marine Corps Master Sergeant and now President of the War Dogs Association. And you had experience with canines in your career. In general, is a single canine assigned for its career to a single person or a single platoon? Or how does that work?
2: In general terms, the dogs are assigned to the bases and as long as you're there we try to pair up the dog and handler for as long as you're together just to keep that continuity but when your time comes up to rotate the dog will get transitioned to a new handler i served in the marine corps for 20 years and 17 of those years were in the military working dog program and Just to let you know, we do have a a couple of our programs where the dogs will stay with the handlers for the lifetime of the dog. So it kind of depends on where your career set, where you kind of fall into the canine program.
1: Sure. And what is the breed of most of the dogs? I think I've seen in recent years Belgian Malinois as the main kind of breed. Is that all they use, or what are some of the other types?
2: Going back, when I first started using dogs, the dogs for defense, um, we had 40, 50 breeds. But then over the test of time and Looking at trainability, intelligence, they can handle the rigors of combat. It's come down to really German Shepherds and Belgian Malawas are the top two breeds. Now you have some like Dutch Shepherds, and and the Marine Corps and the Army, just for single-purpose dogs, we use labs quite a bit during the height of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan.
1: And you mentioned also that the dog may stay with the handler for the dog's life. Then the association that you head, part of your mission is to make sure the dogs get into good hands when the dogs retire, correct?
2: Yes, sir, that's correct. So the U.S. War Dogs Association was established in 2000 by five Vietnam dog handlers because, unfortunately, the Vietnam dog handlers were not allowed to bring their dogs home from Vietnam, which was a very sad state for our country at that time. We've come so far in the way we treat and care for our military dogs, and a lot of it is because of the advocacy of Vietnam veteran groups. And Ron Aiello was the president. He helped start the U.S. War Dogs Association in 2000, and I was on the receiving end of care and support for my entire career, as well as my Marines. And uh, Ron was a big, uh, he still is a big mentor of mine, and three years ago asked me to take over And I absolutely love this organization. So it's basically a life cycle of practical support for military working dogs. So when you're active duty, we send care packages overseas. When the dog retires, we have a military working dog service award. And then in retirement, it's the big piece. So like when I retired, I have VA benefits, but our dogs don't get that. There's no funding available for them right now. So We help fill that need, you know, so right now we're covering 1,100 retired military working dogs. We pay for their prescription medications every month, which is just absolutely incredible because based off the Robbie Law, which was signed into law in 2000, every dog handler has a chance to adopt their dog out, but that also comes with a dog who's maybe nine years old and starting to have some joint problems, so they're gladly going to take on that financial burden because you're adopting the dog that potentially saved your life or one of your partners in crime or whatever, But we're trying to alleviate that financial burden off those handlers just so they can just focus on just giving that dog the best life possible. So it's been an incredible experience getting to know more of the people we're supporting and it helps me stay connected to the canine community, but just absolutely love the mission we have at at the U.S. War Dolls Association.
1: Sure. Having dealt with a couple of old dogs myself, I know how those vet bills can really add up. And just getting back to the early part of the dog's career, how long does it take to train one to be useful, say, in a given role?
2: Looking on average, close to about 100 training days. The biggest part is selection. You got to select the right dogs first. So that's the big part. You're basically going and looking at a bunch of athletes, and you're trying to figure out which dogs you want to give scholarships to. You got to select the right dogs first, and then once you select them, now you know they have the trainability and they have all the right traits and characteristics. When you're looking about 100 training days to take a dog from nothing to obedience, explosive detection as well as the apprehension work, and just making sure it's a fully mission-capable asset. And at that point, that's really when the work is beginning, because now the dog has met a really solid at basic level of certification. When they get paired up with our handler, they might be another six months before those teams are ready for deployments. They need to learn the ins and outs of each other. They're going to grow and develop as a dog team. I mean, at that point, they're ready for worldwide missions.
1: And they have a career of several years then.
2: Yeah, so you're looking at selecting dogs between one year and about two, two and a half years is, is about the oldest. They usually, on average, retire at like nine years old. I'd say is that what I've seen. Um, I had a dog, uh, Luca. Uh, we we trained together, and she was two years old when I got her, just under two years old. And unfortunately, she was injured in Afghanistan. But I, you know, had a chance to adopt her at eight years old, and she lived another six years in retirement and kept her spoiled and kept her on the couch watching ESPN and. It was great to be able to give that dog the retirement she deserved. I was always hoping my retirement would be half as good as hers.
1: <laughs> and that's a really tough loss, too, when they pass on, isn't it?
2: It is. It really is. I mean, they're they're more than just a dog. I mean, I think anybody, I mean, there's obviously a lot of pet lovers in the country, but you take that dog and, and you put yourself in a combat situation. And, like, for example, Luca was with me through some of the highest of highs you can have in combat, like saving people's lives by finding IEDs. But also, like, when I had some bad days and we lost people, like, Luca was, basically, I have my own personal therapy doll. Like, she's seen me go through some of my worst moments in the Marine Corps and was there for me. So they definitely become more than just a doll. Like, that's, you know, it's one of your Marines. Like, they become part of your family, especially in adoption. You know, they, they change combat patrols for family walks. And it's incredible just the connection you have. And when Luca passed away, it was it was very difficult, but she had two handlers, and both of us were there for her last breath and took her to the beach one more time, got her an ice cream cone, and uh, we're both sitting there you know, with our hands on her heart just as she took her last breath, but very difficult. There's nothing easy about it, but it's just incredible what these dogs uh, do for us, both on the battlefield and in personally.
1: And do you have a dog at the moment, a retired service dog?
2: Well, I have a yellow lab named Murray. He has a very <laughs> unique story, uh, just a quick version is he... In Iraq, I was working with a guy named Corey Weens, and he had a yellow lab named Cooper. And I've known him for about a year at that time, and we were on this operation for about a month. And unfortunately, Corey and Cooper uh, were killed during uh, one of our patrols, and I kept in touch with a family. And uh, about five years ago, they said they wanted to raise yellow labs in honor of their son. And so the dog comes from a very special family, and it keeps me a connection to Corey. And we named the dog Murray because... On that operation, we were south of Baghdad, and the first thing that Corey and I searched was a horse stables and a pool house on the Tigris River, and we turned that into patrol base, murray, and that's what we did a lot of our missions out of, and that's the last place I saw him. So that dog means a lot. He would never make a working dog. He's a big, goofy lab, but he's an incredible family pet and means the world to me, just having that connection to Corey and his family.
1: Chris Willingham, former Marine Corps Master Sergeant and President of the War Dogs Association. There's much more to the interview, some of which will touch your heartstrings. We'll post it in its entirety, along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive and subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
3: Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving It's a well-known fact that good sleep leads to a happier life. Okay, maybe that's not a fact fact, but don't you just feel amazing after a great night's sleep? Like the first night back in your own bed after traveling. It's time to demand more first-night-back kind of sleep. Stop tossing and turning and talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more.